0: DevPro Journal is an online publication built to assist B2B software developers in growing profitable, sustainable, and fulfilling businesses. Today's podcast is sponsored by DataCap Systems and Zebra Technologies. Welcome to the DevPro Journal Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Monticello, co-founder of DevPro Journal. Thank you so much for listening. Today we're going to be discussing marketing with Liz Lamarchand. If you're a frequent reader of DevPro Journal, you probably read one of her many great contributed articles on the topic of software developer marketing. Today we have her in person, in studio, to talk about common marketing mistakes and how to avoid them. Also, very timely, we discuss some best practices for marketing in a down economy. It's a great conversation I'm sure you'll find valuable. So without further ado, Liz, welcome to the show.
1: It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So before we get started, I was hoping that maybe you could just take a minute or two to introduce yourself, talk a little bit about your background, and share a little bit about your company with our listeners.
1: Yeah, I'd be happy to. So I've been working in marketing for a little over 25 years, um, primarily in marketing for software vendors. Uh, The company I work for, MediaDev, is specialized in outreach programs for software vendors, um, providing a range of services across channels. So we do everything from digital marketing to lead generation. Um, you know, content, promotion, brand awareness, social media marketing, social selling. And uh, we've really gotten very specialized over the years. You know, there are a lot of marketing firms out there that that market shoes and then try to market, you know, complicated B2B software solutions. It doesn't really work. So we've really specialized in that ourselves and, and gotten even more niche in the past few years on ISV OEM types of partnerships building uh, channel you know, uh, channel partners and uh, really trying to help ISVs connect with other ISVs for integration of their products. So it's a very okay. kind of niche part of what we do in marketing, but I hope that gives you some background yeah. on what we do. I've yeah, also and... recently published uh, a marketing book of, that I was working on for, for quite some time called Tune In and Dial Out, how to win at B2B cold calling. So we've got a a vast resource library. We put out a lot of free content for software vendors so that they can get access to tools and strategies that they need to help grow their businesses.
0: Awesome. Well, it sounds like you are the perfect guest then to have on today because we're going to be talking about marketing and more specifically, we're going to be talking about some common marketing mistakes that you see ISVs making. Um, so, I guess I, I'm I'm just curious. Maybe start with the the, the biggest one. What is the biggest uh, mistake that you commonly see software developers ISVs making when it comes to marketing?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest one is not putting the buyer personas at the center of content. Um, very often, I think, especially when um, we have some junior marketers who are really uncomfortable. Uh, talking about marketing or they don't really understand kind of the the value proposition as it pertains to um, the target audience, whether that be an end user or uh, an ISV itself, um, you know, which is the case, obviously, like I said, with ISV OEM types of relationships. uh, And they get really too product center centric, you know, describing the features. Without taking into account like what's in it for me, which obviously most people when they're reading any type of content, they want to understand, well, how is this going to help me? How is the software solution going to help me in my job role in this company? um and i do think that very often we see you know very vague kind of marketing terms i call it the blah blah marketing that doesn't mean anything where you read something and you're like okay i have no idea what that really means like we'll help you optimize and you know it's nice marketing phrases but they don't really mean anything to the end user or to the target audience specifically whether that be you know because i'm targeting a specific type of job title or a specific type of company um, vertical. So I think, you know, putting the buyer persona at the center of the content is really the most important thing to consider. Um, obviously, content is king, you have to have content. And, you know, nowadays, people have access to such a high volume of content. So in order to make your stand out, like really putting the buyer persona at the center of the content for me is just absolutely critical. And most people forget that still, like still today, I see, you know, websites and you know, white papers and things like this, where they're, you know, talking all about the product without taking the end user in, in, into account.
0: Okay, that's great. So, so with, uh, you know, any particular software package, there are probably, you know, many, many countless benefits to potentially to an end customer, um, depending on the type of content, like if, if a, an ISV is creating a blog for their website, or, you know, to be pushed out via their email newsletter, how, how much Content or how how many I guess details do you recommend that they put into something like a blog without overwhelming someone? So if they if they could potentially list a hundred things, that would be a very long blog that wouldn't make a lot of sense. Um, so what do you recommend from from a blog standpoint first?
1: Yeah, well, for blogs, you know, I like the very short. Like, here are five tips, or here are five you know, things I I don't usually go more than five. I hate blogs that are like, here are 101 things to help you. And you're, you know, that for me is way too much. And then you don't get into a lot of detail. It's kind of like bullet points. So I don't think there's so much value there. I, I, I think that with blogs, you can talk about more than one topic, but, um, I know for emails in particular, I, my best practice is one subject, one email so really honing in on one thing with one very highly specific call to action i think a lot of times people forget like what do you want your reader to do after they've read this and that for me is so important you know you can have a great email but if there's no link link to click then what do you what are you expecting the user to do with that yeah um because no one's going to reply to your email and same with blogs, I think it's great when you can embed some links to other resources, have something there maybe perhaps where they can go a little bit further, um, especially, you know, for that type of content to have gated content as the next step, because you want to capture their email address so that they can become part of your email cadence. Yeah. So really always keeping in mind, like I, I often say this, um, you know, with with marketing, it people forget the call to action or they have too many and then the user doesn't know really what you want them to do um it's kind of like if you were to send your resume out to a company thinking that the resume was going to get you the job like you're never going to get a sale because you've sent one email to somebody you're never going to get a sale because you wrote one blog post you know it's having all the different touch points uh so you know making sure that your user knows like okay where do you want them to go on this buyer journey? What's the next step after this, and making sure that that's you know really at the forefront when you're when you're starting to write your content like what yeah. do you what do you what value are you bringing to your audience, and what are you expecting them to do with it
0: so don't fall into the trap of ending a, an article with Something to the effect of either call this number, email this person, click this link to fill out this form. Is that, are those too many uh, options and you're then diluting the effect or what do you recommend there?
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of people do put like follow us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter and those are fine. They're just buttons on the bottom. It's not like a very strong call to action, but yes, I, I prefer to have one. Um, usually for us, for example, we'll have a blog post and at the bottom it's like if you liked this subscribe to our newsletter And that's enough. Yeah. You know, and if people are really like wow, this was amazing They'll take the steps themselves to you know follow you on multiple channels after that But you don't want to push all of those things at one time and then the person is like okay. No, thanks.
0: Yeah Yeah, so when you were um, first talking about this and you talked about, um, you know, kind of honing in and connecting the dots for your potential customer in terms of their pain points. The type of content that I thought of that's a slam dunk in this um, kind of realm would be a case study. Because if you're talking to a, another of your customers, hopefully that case study talks about all the benefits that they received. And those benefits hopefully would I would align with some of the other, you know, potential customers in that same vertical. Do you do much with case studies? Do you recommend those to uh, ISVs?
1: Absolutely. For me, the best practice is to have many different case studies, uh, success stories, Um, especially if you target multiple industry verticals. It's great to have basically one in each at least so that it helps the end user really be able to visualize the benefit like okay, yeah. here's a company that's similar to mine. This was the problem that they were dealing with, and this is how the solution solved that problem. You know, it's a it's it's so much better than any other piece of content. Like for us, that's the best performing piece of content hands down.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and uh, that I agree just in terms of what I've seen. I mean, case studies are amazing if you can get them. So, do you have any advice for how you can how an ISV can convince their customers to participate in this? Um, and then even, I guess I don't want to throw too much at you, but there's some ISVs that say, I don't want to feature this customer because I'm afraid my competitor is going to steal them or something like that. I mean, so what are are your thoughts on those types of things?
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, those are great questions. I mean, first of all, I think no good comes from fear. So being afraid that your competitor is going to steal your customer. I get that. And at the same time, if if your relationship with the customer is fantastic, they're not going anywhere. So it's really very much about relationship building. Um, from the onset. And that starts really from the very top of the funnel when we talk about the buyer journey, it starts about their experience when you're doing the marketing, as they have their relationship built with the sales rep, what happens once they've signed a contract? What is the, the experience that they've had? Um, usually if customers are really happy with everything along that whole cycle, they should want to be a brand champion for you and they should be happy to do a case study with you. I think a lot of times people don't get case studies actually because they're just afraid to ask. Okay. They're afraid to go to their customer and say, you know, Hey, you know, we'd really love to build a case study. Are you willing and able to work with us on that? Um, and when you get over that fear. Most of them, they'll they'll be happy to do it. You know, sometimes yeah. bigger companies they need to get need, they need to go through some hoops to get approval processes taken care of for that type of um, outward facing mm-hmm. case study. You can also do anonymous case studies. Sometimes people don't think of that, but you can do a whole case study saying like we're working with an industry leader. Um, they're not as good as having the logo, of course. Sure. But it is a possibility. And then, you know, you can, of course, describe your expertise, you can still get thought leadership out of that type of case study, even if it is anonymous.
0: All right. So that's uh, forgetting about buyer personas anything else that we haven't talked about that i mean obviously we could probably spend the entire podcast just talking about this one but anything else that you want to touch on before i ask you about another mistake
1: no i think we're pretty good with that i think but being very customer-centric i mean i think that's everything with marketing and you know that goes back to my case and point about case studies is that you know when you have that good relationship then it's it's everything is possible
0: yeah awesome okay all right So let's move on then. What is um, another common mistake that you see ISVs making?
1: Another common mistake I see is when ISVs over rely on one channel instead of creating omni-channel presence. And one channel can be really good when you're starting, especially if you have limited resources, that's fine. But it's true that nowadays buyers are everywhere and you have to be where they are. And so it is really important to be able to have that vision. And I think a lot of times people focus on the channels that they feel the most comfortable with um, and they don't necessarily have that omni-channel presence. Um, I see this a lot too when it comes to telemarketing. I know this may sound very strange, but you know, telemarketing is really considered as like an old school tactic that doesn't work, which is exactly why I wrote, you know, tune in and dial out because when you, break down the false beliefs around telemarketing it actually provides a lot of value because as i said earlier it's marketing is really about creating a whole bunch of touch points um and actually I, i i tell this story in the book you know my husband um he's a realist he's french he works for a fish farm he doesn't understand marketing and um we were once he equates it to advertising he thinks marketing is advertising which obviously is not true and we were watching a show on TV and a commercial came on and, you know, it was an advertisement for a car. And he's like, what kind of idiot would buy a car because they watched an ad on TV? And I was like, yeah, that's not how it works. <laughs> um, it's, and it's really about to all these touch points. So, you know, when you're thinking about marketing and that omni-channel presence, you know, no one is going to buy a complex software solution because of one touch point you know, it's okay, they read this article, and they talked to a colleague who knew something about this solution, or they used it at a previous company. Um, they've been thinking themselves about some of their pain points that they want to solve. Um, maybe they read an article in the DevCo journal, maybe, you know, they've seen, mm-hmm. um, you know, something that's out there. and. And when you're proactively outreaching to ISVs, because you want to engage them in the discussion and you want them to enter into a sales cycle to purchase your solution, knowing that your sales cycle could be 12, 18 months, especially for, you know, the very complex types of software solutions, you have to consider every single opportunity you have to create visibility for your brand across channels. And telemarketing is a channel. Most people ignore it. They are like, oh, that doesn't work. It does work. It does work if it's done right. And it's also done right when you leave voicemail messages and you call back and then you're reaching out to somebody on LinkedIn and you're sending them an email and then they're being exposed to your content. You're maybe sending them something that you think is of interest to them. So it's really all of those things, you know, taking every opportunity possible so that you can create that visibility you need to be seen and heard because there's so much noise out there and everyone is bombarded with messages left and right. And so how can you make your message stand out? And one of the ways to do that is being present across all channels.
0: So how important is it for the different channels to be coming from different sources so you know as as an isv i could be sending reaching out to a pro- prospect via email i could be cold calling them i could be hitting them up via social media but what i'm thinking of also is maybe coming to them from through a third party you know through like like mm-hmm. a placement in a in a magazine or through local chamber chamber of commerce ad or something like that so if, it come, if, it, if everything comes from the ISV, does that dilute the power of the message at all or should it be spread out from different sources?
1: I think if you can tap into third-party sources, that's great. It helps okay. create legitimacy, um, especially if you're you know, hosting an event with a partner and you can tap into you know, their email lists. Um, anytime you can leverage any of your partners to help, you know, provide extra support and visibility. Yeah, I think that's amazing. I mean, you know, a lot of ISVs do this, they have, you know, their Gartner (laughs) rankings and things like that. And yeah, I mean, people are really attracted to that third party type of information. So yeah, I would definitely do that if it's possible to do that. Some of the smaller ISVs may have more difficulty doing that. Yeah, but absolutely. Working at who can I partner with to provide even more value to my end user customer? Because for me, again, it's about what value am I providing? Because if the value is there, then people will naturally, you know, continue to use your product, talk about yeah. your products with their colleagues. You know, that word of mouth marketing is very important. Yeah, and uh, a lot of people forget that.
0: Yeah. I'm also wondering if, if I'm a, I don't know how to classify if I'm a new ISV or maybe just, I'm an ISV that's newly working with you, with you and you are helping them and you ask, where are your buyers hanging out? Like how, you know, do they know answers to those questions? Like I couldn't, I'm not saying this myself personally, but I could picture an ISV saying, I don't know if my customers are on LinkedIn or if they're on Instagram or Facebook so how does that conversation usually play out? And how do you help them find their customers?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think a lot of times people don't. They don't know where their, their buyer personas are. And we usually then in that case, we'll conduct an audit and we go looking and seeing. We we get them to you know create with us the ideal buyer persona. Like, who okay. is the ideal buyer persona? and then we would then go and determine where are those people and what is the best way to reach those people um and a lot of times you know yeah it's about looking at groups on linkedin it's about you know seeing what other types of forums are out there um so yeah a lot of people don't necessarily have the time to do that kind of deep research so we can absolutely help you know support with that type of activity i think one of the big mistakes that that very new ISVs make is they think like, oh, our product is revolutionary, we have no competition at all. And uh, everyone is just going to come to us because our product is so great, you know, which is awesome, except that's not how it works. yeah And, you know, no product on the face of the planet ever sold itself. You know, it's great marketing mm-hmm. that makes it visible to people. It's not just the technology. And thinking that you have no competition, like everybody has competition. It may not be exactly the same as your product, but it's out there, you know? And I think back to my husband who works for a fish farm, you know, meat is competition to fish. You know, it's not at all the same thing, but it is competition. So I always use that as a visual because sometimes people really get into their bubble and think like, no, our product is unique uh, and everybody needs it. And you know, that may be true. And, <laughs> you know, you also have to do the work to be able to get people to see that vision as well.
0: Gotcha. Okay. All right. That's great. Uh, let's move on then. Uh, what, what's another uh, common mistake that you see developers making with their marketing?
1: Well, you know, especially when teams are small, you know, sometimes there's invisible expectations and assumptions that happen between sales and marketing so you know in the beginning when you're kind of starting out it's really sales that's doing everything and then when you are able to grow a little bit you get more resources you know you get extra support i mean marketing is always supposed to be support for sales but they don't often work together and that for me is a huge mistake because When marketing is working in their own little bubble and they're like oh we're going to do a campaign and get you leads and then sales is expecting marketing to hand them over like contracts that are basically ready just to sign (laughs) and they're getting top of the funnel leads because somebody downloaded a white paper then there's a huge disconnect and then resentment builds sales is like these leads suck you know, marketing gets yeah. frustrated and then the worst thing that happens is that sales then doesn't want to follow up any of the leads provided by marketing they're like no nope, i'm not going to waste my time because all these leads are bad and then marketing is like well sales is not doing their job because they're not following up the leads and then it becomes this blame game finger pointing kind of scenario which doesn't serve anybody You know, Marketing and sales are really supposed to be in the same boat, rowing in the same direction. And I think the way to avoid that is to make sure that you have an alignment conversation. Hey, sales, let's get together. What types of leads would really serve you most? Are they the, you know, sales qualified leads where you're ready to have an appointment setting, you know, um, activity in place right now? We have access to your calendar. We can fix those meetings for you so that you can start, you know, having in-depth conversations. Or are you okay with it being, you know, just somebody who's downloaded a white paper and you want volume, you know, it's a very different type of scenario. You know, when you get the, the very, you know, top of the funnel marketing qualified leads, then, you know, there's more legwork to do, but you have a higher volume of prospects to be working with. And some salespeople, they want that. And other people are like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not wasting my time. I want to have meetings and I want to do demos and I want you to get me the right decision makers who have purchasing power and I want to focus my time on that, you know, which is great. But you can't mm-hmm. know that if you don't have the conversation first. So yeah. That that for me is, you know, really making sure that marketing is setting out with the goal in mind that's going to serve the sales team best at that particular moment.
0: Awesome. And that nope. could
1: change. And that could change. And then You know, I think it's good to make sure that there are calibration calls regularly to be sure and that feedback is given. You know, the worst thing you can do as a marketer is give leads to sales and you have no feedback at all. And you have no idea were those leads good? Were they used? Did they convert? You know, I mean, obviously, people use a lot of systems to be able to see, like in Salesforce, like this convert into an opportunity. And that works if the salespeople update Salesforce and many of them do not. And then you have no visibility. Like, was this campaign successful? I have no idea. And that doesn't help the marketers later to be able to move forward and create new campaigns. Uh so you know, making sure that the sales team, you know, is really working hand in hand with marketing for me is absolutely critical.
0: Yeah, there's like this um I don't know, this this uh issue that we're kind of dancing around here, this You know the the battle between sales and marketing, and I mean, I've even seen, I've heard this quite often, where um, marketing, you know, they're creating initiatives that are developing leads that are getting passed on to a salesperson, and then number one, you mentioned no feedback. Number two, maybe you find out at the end of the year that those leads are being just left unattended. No one's doing anything with them. And there could be a variety of reasons the salespeople don't believe in the value of them, or they're a waste of time. I've tried a couple of them and I don't get any results. Meanwhile, you know the marketing team is busting their butts trying to generate all these leads. Um, so how do you get these two sides on the same team? You mentioned regular touch points conversations i mean do you hire someone that is managing both sides to get them to play nice or what what are your recommendations around all
1: that (laughs) yeah i mean i think it really starts in the beginning by taking personal responsibility um as a marketer you can initiate the conversation by saying things like hey you know i know in the past we've run campaigns that haven't gone so well we're committed to serving you and helping you and making your job easier. And how can we do that? How can we work together and really involving them in the process? I think a lot of time marketers are like, okay, we're doing this and here you go. And they just like slam it onto the salesperson's back. And they, they're, they're like, oh, great. Thanks for giving me more work. Yeah. And so, you know, just being able to have that conversation so that they can understand that your purpose is to serve. It's not about giving them more work. It's not about making their lives harder. It's not about making their lives miserable. It's, you know, how can we help support you and getting their input on that to design the campaign with them in the first place? You know, involving any stakeholders in the process is going to get their buy-in. So I think that for me is really the place to start.
0: Awesome. All right. Yeah, that's a good, good bit of advice there. All right. I think we got time for maybe one more common mistake that you see ISVs making. Any thoughts come to mind?
1: Yeah, well, this kind of goes, you know, a little bit deeper into what we were just talking about, like, but, you know, marketing having a very siloed approach instead of a holistic kind of always on plan. I mean, you know, always on for me means that it's always on. It's not stopping just because the quarter is over, you know, many companies have quarterly marketing budgets and I get that. And, you know, marketing doesn't stop just because the quarter is done. Yeah. So it's about designing a program that really is very holistic and takes into account, you know, the various different types of leads that we could generate, you know, from top of the funnel to mid funnel to bottom of the funnel, um, you know, really helping people, nurturing them over time. You know doing that by having great content that's always coming out and you know being posted on social media um engaging with them on one-on-one conversations you know the whole the whole shebang so i think it's really you know again that channel presence um in a holistic way you know having various different types of content and uh and making sure that you're just you keep going you know you can do punctual campaigns around an event for example that's kind of an easy example that you would tack on to a holistic plan like okay we have this is the year this is our goal for the year i think many times people don't set realistic goals for a year they set goals in terms of like sales and the roi that they want but they don't necessarily think in terms of like how do you quantify brand awareness You know, what are some of the KPIs that you can have to quantify the nurture and education phase? So it's difficult. And having a holistic approach means that it doesn't ever stop. It's not, okay, the quarter is over. Now we're done. We're going to wait. And then we're going to move forward with something else once we have more budget. Well, that's not an optimized plan. Okay. And sometimes you can do a lot of things without having necessarily like millions of dollars of marketing budget.
0: Yeah. Wow. So, what you just said there, I probably sprung about 10 follow up questions. Um, So, I'll try, I'll do my best here to try to keep us on track. But um, you mentioned, you know, your example of marketing just doesn't stop or shouldn't stop at the end of a quarter. I've also seen or heard from ISVs who will say, we don't have anything to say right now. Like we we're waiting for our new product launch or something to come out. And so they're holding off until next quarter to do any marketing because they're afraid supposedly of driving people to their site and not seeing the latest and greatest. What is your response to someone who says that?
1: Yeah, I think that's funny. Again, it's what I said earlier. Like anytime you're making a decision out of fear, the outcome is never going to be good. So it's still more about like, okay, well, great. We're coming out with a new product feature or something that's new. That's awesome. And you can totally do a lot of marketing around that, but that doesn't mean that what you have now is worthless and shouldn't be talked about too. So, you know, you can create a buzz around the, the launch of whatever it is that you have, and sometimes you can do a real teaser, like several months out. You know instead of just being like okay it's ready now like yeah. okay well you know you could have done a whole teaser like two months up to that now point but i do think that you know there's always something to say Th- there really is yeah it's just about finding what is it that we want to say right now knowing that we've got something else coming you know i i don't think that it should stop and people should wait like you lose the momentum you know and and it's just it'll make it easier when you do launch the product cuz you've already got more people that are kind of following what you're doing
0: yeah yeah okay let me distill some of my other follow questions maybe into into one question here in light of the global economy and i can i can already feel people kind of tightening their belts a little bit yep. and you know i could i could sense that marketing dollars might be pulled back stretched thin Um, I'm sure your advice is to not go dark during this time. Um, so what can, what do you recommend to people who might not have a huge budget, whether that's just in their normal operations or due to the economy right now, what can they do affordably to kind of keep a regular cadence?
1: yeah no that's a fantastic question and very timely for right now i do think people have that fear when they see the economy you know going in the direction that's mm-hmm. been going and they they think like oh my god we have to stop spending right now and they you know kind of freak out and take you know rash decisions it is shooting yourself in the foot though when i mean marketing budget is always the first budget to go because it's seen as being not completely necessary for You know continuing the operations of the business but you know sales can't stop especially in a tight economy like that's the opposite of what you really should be doing when this happens but i think it's more about seeing really analyzing what is most effective how are our marketing dollars being spent and where is the most return that we're seeing and from there you know there's a ton of stuff that people can do organically they don't need to have tons and tons of budget. You know, advertising is the biggest pumper of dollars, right? So, you know, taking a look at your ads, what is the return that we're getting from those ads, especially you know when we do like pay-per-click types of activities, because sometimes you don't know how much that click is going to cost you. And then sometimes that click is like an intern downloading a <laughs> downloading mm-hmm. an asset yeah. and it's providing you zero value so you know taking a look at that maybe redirecting budget from certain places reducing it in you know very specific places um and then tapping into other people in the company to help contribute like i think you know very often we forget that every employee should be a brand ambassador and talking Mm -hmm. about it with people and reposting content on so their own social media posts like it doesn't matter if you're the finance manager you can still repost something interesting on your linkedin page and that takes 35 seconds you know so (laughs) encouraging your employees to help i think is definitely something you can do that costs zero dollars nothing um so you know and then of course outsourcing to you know, third party vendors can absolutely save budget. I mean, you know, it's not talking about like, okay, go fire all your employees and then work with an outsourcer. You don't have to, you know, go that extreme kind of route. But you know, having extra support can be more efficient if you choose the right outsourcer who's working with you to create an outcome that can definitely help you reduce your budgets people don't necessarily see it that way but it's also looking at the vendors that you have and saying okay is this like where what is the value that we're getting and looking at everything and and with that lens and saying okay how can we do better what can we do differently so that we can optimize the budget that we have and and get you know." the best
0: outcome. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Liz. Well, thank you so much for sharing all this great information. We really appreciate yeah, no, pleasure. it. pleasure. Before I let you it's go, my pleasure. though.
1: pleasure. I could talk all day, so <laughs> it's good that well, you're we'll, stopping me.
0: <laughs> we'll, we'll have you back if you're willing. Um, but before Absolutely. I let you go, I was just hoping maybe you could, if someone was interested in learning more about your organization and, you know, maybe working with you, where can they go to uh, get more information?
1: Yeah, you can go to mediadev.com. So it's M-E-D-I-A-D-E-V.com. Uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn. And you can obviously go to Amazon and buy TuneIn and dial out. And that'll give you everything <laughs> you need to know about how to win at B2B cold calling. And yeah, I mean, we're on LinkedIn as well. You can look us up. and.
0: Awesome. Well, We'll, we'll include you uh, your information in the uh, blog post that will accompany this. So once again, thank you so much. We appreciate you being on the podcast and also for being a continued supporter of DevPro Journal. Your regular contributions really um, increase the quality of the overall content when it comes to marketing in particular. So thank you very much. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners for joining us. As a reminder, DevPro Journal is an online publication built to assist B2B software developers in growing profitable, sustainable, and fulfilling businesses. To read more information on this topic and many others, visit devprojournal.com. Finally, we'd like to thank today's podcast sponsors, Datacap Systems and Beaver Technologies. Thanks, for have a great day.